Now, most of you were here in the afternoon, and so we saw that the gospel is being developed in Romans chapters 1 through 5, and here we sort of have the pinnacle of everything the gospel is and stands for in this massive, massively important in this deep section of Romans chapters 1 through 5. And so I left this so that I could give it a fuller treatment because there is much depth and much, uh, much clarity here for the gospel, something we must understand. Uh, and so we're going to develop verses 19 through 28 this evening to see how God forgives condemned men. So let's start reading before we come to our main text in verse number 19. Now we know that what things soever or whatever the law says, it says to them who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight for by the law is the knowledge of sin. So this is just going to introduce to us the purpose of this passage. Paul has been coming from an area where he is basically saying that the entire world is condemned before God. The entire world is not ready to meet God as it stands. And so he is able to say in verse number 10, there is no one who is righteous, not even one. And so he's coming back to this idea of the law. And let's just explain what that means. So we might equate the law with being the Ten Commandments, the embodiment of everything God would have us to do in this life. So the Ten Commandments were given to the Hebrews, the Jews, and God gave them to those people to manifest God's way and God's will for his people on earth. So the Jewish people were sort of a test people in God's purposes. If these people can follow the law, maybe the rest of the world can follow that same law. But the Jewish people... In short words, they failed miserably. And the Jewish people showed the capacity of the human heart that even when God gives the clearest instructions, man still goes his own way because man's problem is not that he doesn't understand God's law. Man's problem is that he does not desire God's law. And so Paul is basically saying the law was given to this body of people, but they're just like the rest of us. And so this body of people, because they could not keep the law, they basically condemned the entire world because we're all the same. So he says the law was given to these Jewish people so that every mouth may be stopped. And so he continues, if these people cannot please God by the law, then in verse number 20, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh, no person be justified, declared righteous in his Sight. And so Paul is basically dismantling two parts of a person's body here. He says their mouths are stopped, but they also cannot work to earn salvation before God. They cannot work in order to be justified before God. So we have mouths that are stopped, and we have hands that are stopped. And I would just encourage you tonight, the only way you will ever understand how God can forgive your sins is when you understand that God must speak to you. This is not a time for self-defense. This is a time to be open and exposed to the word of God as it is presented to you, to understand what God is speaking to your soul. But this is also not a time to try to earn God's favor either. Because it says, by working, 
what the law says. By doing the works of the law, no one will be justified. So we have our mouths stopped, and we have our hands stopped. So that basically means we are left without a defense, and we are left helpless, and that makes us very, very clearly need salvation. So we're going to consider three points from verses 21 through 26 this evening. Three points of how God forgives men and women who are helpless and who are condemned and who cannot help themselves, essentially. We ask the question, what did God do? If the Ten Commandments weren't made to save us, what were they for? Well, they condemn us. Well, how, God, how is God going to forgive men then? How is God going to justify men? So let's begin reading from verses 21 through 26, and I will explain some of the meanings of these words as we go. But now the righteousness of God, without or apart from the law, is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, that is the Old Testament. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace, or justified as a gift by his grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth or publicly displayed to be a propitiation. And that's just a big word that means he satisfied God's wrath. He satisfied the requirement of God's law. Through faith in his blood, or we could read it, he is a propitiation in his blood and we receive it by faith. To declare his righteousness, God's righteousness, for the remission or the forgiveness or the passing over of sins that were done in the past. Through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness, that he might be both just and the justifier of him that believes in Jesus. So I want to break this text down into three very simple points this evening. I want to consider, first of all, with you this fact that God deals with everyone on the same terms. He begins in verse number 21 by saying the righteousness of God is manifested apart from the law. So before it almost seemed like the Jewish people were, you know, they were God's chosen people and that they were. But now that the gospel is being presented, we have to ask ourselves, is it for the Jews or is it for everybody in the world? And so Paul is saying God is manifesting the gospel to everyone that is in the world. So it is apart from the law. It's not through the law. It's not by the works of the law that God is going to grant salvation. But it is to the whole world on the same ground. But he also proves to us that the gospel is for everybody. And that God deals with everyone on the same terms. Because it says in verse number 32 that the righteousness of God comes upon people who believe in Jesus Christ. Now faith is something that we can all have. Faith is not specific to any person. So we can all put our trust in Jesus Christ. That's not specific to any individual. That is something we are all able to do. And so God says here that God is offering salvation. He is offering his righteousness to those who believe in Jesus. That doesn't belong to a people group. That doesn't belong to a people in a certain time or a certain land. That's for everybody. 
But there's a third thing here that tells us that God deals with everyone on the same terms. He says at the end of verse 22, For there is no difference. There is no distinction anymore. God looks at all men, whether you are a Jew, whether you are not a Jew, whether you are outwardly immoral, or whether you are inwardly immoral. God deals with everyone on the same terms. There is no distinction. So what he's doing here is he's going to prove that in verse 23. He says, For all have sinned, and come short of the glory of God. So he's basically showing two main categories or two main levels, we can say. This is the glory of God. This is everything that God requires. And we're all under that. We all cannot meet it. We all are falling short of it. So it basically doesn't matter what color of skin you have or what religion you're part of. The fact is, if you cannot reach God's standard, you are condemned. So there is no difference. And we all start on the same ground. We all start on the same plane. So that's what Paul is doing here, that the righteousness of God is manifested to people on the exact same terms. There is no difference. So if we're all the same type of people deep down inside, and if we are the same on the same ground, the same foundation, the same footing, we all have the same need. We all have the same need. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Let me just make a solemn statement very briefly. To fall short of the glory of God is to break his standard, yes. But it means that you have not achieved everything that God is. And it means that if you should continue in your way, falling short of the glory of God, there will be a day when God will confirm your decision and you will eternally fall short of the glory of God. And God says, The soul that sins shall die. And God says, do not fear the one who kills the body, but you fear the one who can kill both your body and your soul in hell. There is a place that is apart from the glory of God called hell. And it is your responsibility, it is your duty to flee from that wrath, to flee from God's judgment, because you're heading there. You cannot dwell where God's glory is if you have fallen short of his glory. So we have to see what it means to be saved. God deals with everyone on the same terms, and so we need a solution. The nice thing about this, as we come to my second point, is that if we all start on the same ground, if we all have the same foundation, if we all have the same need, it means that God doesn't need to give us a list of possible solutions to follow. He only needs to give us one solution. If there is one type of sinner to be forgiven, God only needs to give us one solution to forgive those sins. Does that make sense? One solution for one problem. So he's going to present to that present that solution to us in verse number 24, and we see that God not only deals with people and forgives people on the same terms every time, but he forgives them on the best terms. Let me explain what I mean. In verse number 24, it says, being justified freely, justified as a gift by his grace, his kindness, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Jesus. So here we have something that God is offering you for free, something that God is offering you as a gift. And so what he's doing here is he's giving us very, very key words that we need to understand. What does the word justified mean? 
Well, the word justified simply means that God is declaring you righteous. So it's like you're in a, in a courtroom and you stand with a pile of sins against you and God says you are condemned, you are guilty. But then, how do we, how do we come over here where God says you are, you are righteous and you are not guilty? That's what justification is. You are seen as righteous in God's sight. And so he's saying that we can be justified not by our works, but something that we have as a gift, by his grace. So God is offering you righteousness. God is offering you his own righteousness so that you can stand before him someday. Before we fell short of the glory of God, now God is offering this way where we can actually have God's righteousness so that we can stand before him in perfect confidence. But that only comes by grace. So we have to ask ourselves, how could God give such a tremendous gift for free? Well, that's where the second part of verse number 24 comes in, and it says, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Redemption is, has a couple of ideas to it. We can think of a slave who is being purchased and then set free. We can think of redemption in that way. Or we can think of redemption in terms of uh, not only freedom, but perhaps deliverance. Uh, God redeemed Israel from Egypt, and so they were set free from Egypt. They were delivered, and from that point on, God was known as their Savior. So redemption is like salvation. God is delivering us. He is redeeming us by his power. So redemption has a couple senses to it, though, and we need to understand those. See, God is offering not only a position, but he's offering a transformation that happens to you. He wants to rescue you from your sin. He doesn't only want to declare you righteous, but he wants to deal with your problem of sin. So there is one sense in which redemption happens in the past. And God is offering you freedom from the penalty of sin, from the guilt of sin. And he wants to cut off any charges that he has against you. But there is a sense in which redemption is a present thing, where God is actually changing me. He transforms me into a different person. And so that's the salvation we're talking about tonight, where God desires to have everyone transformed into a new creature. The Bible calls that being born again. A new heart, a new life, a new vision. But there is also a future sense of redemption. And redemption, we look forward to that day. We look forward to heaven. And we look forward to seeing Jesus who died for our sins. And so God is offering not only a position, God is not only offering a declaration of righteousness, but God actually wants to transform us and bring him to himself, free from sin, free from the wrath of God. And so that's how he can do it for free, because God has accomplished it in Christ Jesus. I want to bring you to my third point now. And that is verses 25 and 26. So we have seen that God deals with everyone on the same terms. We are all at the same level. There is no distinction anymore. We have seen that God deals with men on the best terms. He's offering the best salvation that the world has ever heard of. Sinners being declared righteous. And then people who were in bondage to sin being set free unto liberty that will last for eternity. That's wonderful. But we need to ask ourselves, how can God offer that for free? That must have come at a cost. So that's where these verses come in. 
And we see that God forgives men on his own terms. And his term is the cross of Jesus Christ. So it says that we have justification, we have redemption or a ransom that was purchased by Christ. And it says that God has publicly displayed him to be a propitiation in his blood. Let's think about that for a minute. That is a very weighty phrase. We need to understand that. 1 John 2 and 2 says that God gave his son that he might be the propitiation not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. So the propitiation of Christ, let me use simpler terms, Jesus satisfied God's wrath. Jesus satisfied God's wrath perfectly. Which means he gave himself as an infinite sacrifice so that the entire world could be offered salvation for free. So when it says that God has publicly displayed him as the one who satisfies his wrath, it means God is looking at every sinner in the eye and he says, this is for you. It doesn't seem right that there would be a public display of a bloody sacrifice. It says God has set him forth to be a propitiation through or in his blood. And we have to come to grips with the reality of the cross tonight. The reality that there was a man named Jesus Christ who 2,000 years ago hung on a real cross. And so great was his offering because his person was so great that God looked at the fact that he gave his life and God says, I am satisfied. You see, Christ bore our sins in his own body on the tree, on the cross. That's how God can forgive sins for free because Christ has provided an infinite provision. Christ has provided an infinite sacrifice so that God can look to the whole world and say, look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. God has set him forth publicly to be the propitiation. It says through faith there, just because we need to have faith in what Christ has accomplished in order to be saved. Now that we have the purpose of this, It says it was to declare God's righteousness for the remission or for the removal of sins that were done in the past. Let's just think of this in very, very simple terms. Before Jesus Christ came, there was no definitive sacrifice that put away sin. There was no way God could offer salvation to the entire world. Uh, Well, he, he could in words, but nobody really knew on what basis God could provide forgiveness. Where did our sins go? What happens to our sins then? If God just forgives our sins, does he sweep them under the carpet? Does, what does God do with our sins when he forgives us? There must be someone who takes our place. So we look at people in the Old Testament and we think to ourselves, well, God took away their sins. David says in Psalm 32, how blessed is the man whose transgressions are forgiven and whose sins are covered. How did God do that? How did God do that? Well, it says that God was forbearing. And that's just a word that means he was tolerating. He was 
long-suffering with the thing. He was letting those sins pile up because he was waiting for that day when Jesus Christ would come on the scene and he would pay for all the sins of the world, past, present, and future, by an infinite sacrifice. So God was not unjust in forgiving sins. He had the exact same way of forgiving sins in the Old Testament as he does in the New Testament because he was just waiting for the cross until he could prove to the entire world that he forgives sins, not by passing over them, but by dealing with them. So it says to declare at this time, in this present day, his righteousness, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who believes in Jesus. So God wants to set him forth as a God who is just. He wants to set himself forth as a God who is righteous in all of his dealings. And so essentially what we have here is God cannot forgive sins by simply ignoring them. God must deal with them. So he's proven himself to be just. But he has dealt with sins in such a way that he can also offer salvation. He can also offer redemption. He can also offer justification to the sinner if they simply put their trust in Jesus Christ. So God has not only dealt with sins, but God is offering you salvation. Isn't that a wonderful way of working? That is why the Bible says that it is the only wise God to whom be glory and honor and dominion forever and ever. He is called God only wise for a reason. So we come to a conclusion then. We have seen that we are condemned because of the law. We have seen that Christ has provided a way that we can be saved. Where does that leave us? Well, that brings us to the conclusion of the matter in verses 27 and 28. It says, where is boasting then? Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? The law of works? No. But by the law of faith. In other words, he's saying this. Because all God is requiring you to do is put your trust in Jesus Christ, there is no reason that you can brag about earning God's favor. So he says in a blanket statement, where is boasting? It is excluded. If you will ever be saved, it will never be because you can say, I have achieved anything. Boasting is excluded, and all God requires you to do is put your trust in Jesus Christ. And so he says this bold statement after proving his case impeccably in verse number 28. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Therefore we conclude A man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. You can do nothing to earn God's favor, yet the gospel is coming to you, asking that you would simply put your trust in Jesus Christ so that God could declare you righteous, and finally you can stand before him, not in fear, but in a relationship. So the question to you tonight, where are you putting your faith? God says that he will justify everyone who puts his faith In Jesus, may God bless.